seat. Uh, I've done this one other time, and I liked it so much I'm going to do it again. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a test. So this is a handout test. Everybody, please take one. Everybody, please take one. Uh, this is a test, unlike Josh's test, where you don't have to speak up. You don't have to show anybody your paper. All you're going to do is you're going to answer some questions. They're coming around with the rest of the test and pens. So take them as quickly as you can. Each person, everybody take one. Everybody. <clears throat> and when I read the questions, you're going to answer them one right after another. And I don't want you to take a lot of time to deeply think theologically. I just want you to answer them quickly, kind of a visceral reaction as I read them. Does everybody have one? No, not yet. Wait a minute. Okay, don't you go ahead of me. That's right. Donna's her pen's ready. She's ready. Everybody got a pen? Okay, they're coming. Who has the pens? Maybe somebody else could take them while you distribute the papers. If you don't have a pen, please raise your hand. Okay, we have pens all over the place, Laura. Quickly, quickly, quickly. This doesn't count as my time. Okay, hands up still for pens. I see people coming around. All right. Hands up for pens. Okay, we got some in the back too still. I don't even have my pen. Okay, coming around. More pens. Good, good. Everybody have a test? Everybody have the paper, right? You don't? Okay, we have one right up here. Anybody else pens? Back row over here, Laura, on your middle. Okay, everybody has pen and paper? Oh, not Tani. Tani, what are you missing? Oh, I saw the hand. <laughs> okay, does everybody have pen and paper now? Huh? Okay, thank you. Oh, over here. What did you need? Pen? Pens over there, Laura. Thank you very much, those of you that helped distribute so quickly. Keep going. Okay, anybody else? Pen or paper? Okay, I'm going to read them one right after another. And I just, again, I want your gut reaction. Don't take time to think about it. Just answer true or false are the first nine, okay? Number one, a good description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. True or false? No, no, I'm not asking you to speak out loud. Answer on the test. Man, you guys are an unruly class. I need a real teacher in here. Number two, you can sin and not know it. And again, these are just your gut, visceral reactions. Number three, it's normal for Christians to sin every day. Number four, no helping each other. A bad thought is a sin. Number five, it's easier for a Christian to sin than to do right. Number six, the closer we get to Christ, the less we'll be tempted. 
Number seven, we get closer to Christ through actions of righteousness. Number eight, sainthood is attained by a few Christians. Number nine, to be tempted is a sign of our sinfulness. And then for number 10 and number 11, again, this is just for you. No one else has to see your paper at all. You're not handing it in. Number 10, I want you to put numbers down there that are honest reflections of your answers. Answer the question. How many sins have you committed today? And I know it's awfully early for some of you. And number 11, how many acts of righteousness have you committed today? <clears throat> no talking during class. Okay, have you all got them done? Uh, when you're done, by the way, if you've gotten a pen from Sister Laura or Nicole, when you're done, you can actually put them back in the basket that is up here on the front chair, okay? Uh, what I want to do before I look at this test is I want to tell you a story. This is a story that was told to me probably 20 years ago by a minister friend by the name of Peter Lord who is based out of Florida over in the Orlando area, I believe it was. But he told this story, and I really liked the implications of the story, so I'm going to tell it to you. So listen up, those of you that like stories. Once upon a time, there was a mother and father eagle who lived in a colony with a whole bunch of eagles about 200 miles northeast of here, a colony of Pentecostal eagles. Now you're probably aware that the population of eagles in the U.S. is declining drastically, and this is particularly true among Pentecostal eagles, so that when little eaglets are born, there is much joy over the event. Well, in this particular Pentecostal colony of eagles, this mom and dad had two beautiful eggs ready to hatch, and there was much expectancy and excitement over the prospects of two new eagles being added to their colony. And finally, one day, these two eggs hatched and out popped two little eaglets. And they were beautiful specimens of Pentecostal eagles. The daddy eagle flew all around to all the other Aries and told the other eagles about the arrival of these two beautiful little eaglets. And they all had such a wonderful time of rejoicing over the birth of these two little eaglets. Well, there was so much fuss over these two little eaglets that mom and dad eagle decided that the best thing they could do was to build another airy and to have some more babies. After all, anything that created that much fuss must be worth repeating. I'm not sure if you realize the amount of work that it takes to build an airy, but it's a tremendous undertaking. So mom and dad went to work, and as unbelievable as it is, forgot all about their two baby eaglets. Well, after two or three days of being alone, they began to get hungry. So they had a conference together, and this was their conclusion. If we stay here, we're surely going to die. But if we jump out, maybe we'll die, but maybe we'll live and find some food. So you see, they, had been taught, they hadn't been taught yet to fly. So they decided they'd take their chances, and they both jumped out of their nest. Amazingly, neither one of them was killed, but just had the breath knocked out of them. Well, as they went out to look for food, they ran into a bunch of turkeys. Now, these were nice turkeys, and the head gobbler invited the two little eaglets to join them. 
They soon came to this huge oak tree with acorns spread all over the ground. And the head gobbler said, Hey, you two, don't be shy. Help yourself to some of these wonderful acorns. Now, they weren't shy, but these, these acorns didn't look very appetizing to the two little eaglets. But there's a principle in life that it would do well for you to remember, and it goes like this. When a person's really hungry, they'll eat anything. And an eagle will eat acorns rather than starve to death, even though an eagle was never intended to eat acorns. Well, after they had all had their full of acorns, it happened to be evening, and the head gobbler asked, where are you guys going to spend the night? Well, they hadn't made any plans farther along than hoping to outlive the fall and maybe find something to eat. But there's another principle that says this. When you don't have anywhere to go, you'll always go where you feel welcome. If, even if the people accepting you aren't the ones best fitted for you to associate with. So these two little eaglets went home with this whole brood of turkeys. The next day came, and within a short time, the head gobbler realized that these two newcomers were, were pretty sore specimens. So he took it upon himself to train them in the ways of turkeys. And let me give you another axiom. Whenever anyone is really accepted by someone, they will seek to imitate that person in order to assure their continued acceptance. One of the greatest needs after a person has filled their craw is to be accepted. If you don't feed people, someone else will. If you don't accept people, someone else will. Well, these two little eaglets felt accepted, so they asked the head gobbler to teach them how to scratch the ground like all of their other brothers and sisters in turkeydom. They took scratching lessons and learned how to strut and gobble and even to think a little like a turkey until over a period of months, they became turkeyized. And there was really only one problem. When you're a turkey, it's really easy to be a turkey. But when you're an eagle, it's really hard work to be a turkey. And it seemed like no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't ever get over the feeling that this wasn't what they were made for. They ate acorns, and they kept telling themselves that the acorns were good, but their heart just wasn't in it. And every time they tried to cluck like a turkey, they ended up screeching like an owl. One day they were out walking looking for acorns, and the head gobbler had to keep reminding the eaglets to keep up because the turkey walk was hard for them. But at one point that day, as they were lagging behind, Suddenly, up in the sky, they saw a bird soaring and just floating on the currents. And they just began to think in their hearts, boy, I'd like to be up there. It looks like so much fun. You see, you can take the eagle out of the sky, but you can't take the sky out of the eagle. Just then, the hobble, head gobbler came trotting back and said, hey, 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 you men, watch out. Those things flying up there, they're buzzards and they're nasty. You don't want nasty, do you? And of course, the little eaglet, still wanting to fit in and be accepted, said, no, we don't want to be like a buzzard. Uh-uh, not us. Well, one morning, the little eaglets were almost in despair. They were being held back in their lessons because they weren't catching on very well. They kept being disciplined for not clucking properly and not scratching properly. And it seemed like everything they tried to do came out wrong. They went out for a walk together just to talk about things, and they stopped under this great big old tree. They were feeling like there had to be more to life than what they had. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where suddenly you realized you were made for something more than this. Suddenly, a voice came out of the tree. A wise old owl was sitting up there day after day watching these two little eaglets trying to become turkeyfied. And the owl said, Who? Who? Who are you? 
And they said, well, we're little turkeys that are just so discouraged. We're so tired of it all. There's got to be more to life than this. And the owl said something to them that changed their life forever. And I'll get to that in a moment. Um, before I finish the story, let me just ask you, um, as you took the test, how many of you, no, no not, let me not do it that way. Let me just say this to you. Let me just say it point blank. All of your answers for one through nine should have been false. Every single one of them. And to the extent that you mark down true is the extent that you have been turkeyized by religious legalism. The answer to every one of those questions is false. I want to go over these questions because the truth is, you can't be the eagle that God has created you to be if you still are trying to somehow fit in with some turkeys. I, I don't know how many of you feel like you're living with turkeys. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that the people around you are turkeys. I just mean this recognition that you were made for more. That there was something built into the fiber of your being that knew that there was something better for you. Um, why is it that uh, as we go through these questions, why is it that we sometimes think in the way that we do? The first question is tough for us because we seem to be more aware of our sin than our righteousness. Now, think about it. When you were a sinner, before you became a Christian, you didn't have to think too much about sinning. You sinned just because that was a natural part of who you were. But now, you, you tend to become more conscious. Think about it this way. About a few years ago, I started out on an adventure. Some of you will remember me. Um, how many of you remember me about 15 years ago? Remember what I looked like? A little bit bigger? Uh, I was nigh on to 300 pounds. And I just decided that if I kept going at the rate that I was, uh, I was not going to probably live to see my grandkids married. And so I had been down on the floor trying to play with them. Getting down on the floor was hard. Getting up was even harder. And I thought, this is just crazy. So I went on this adventure where I was going to lose some weight and get in shape. And uh, I tried my best to do that. But do you know what I've discovered? Before I lost weight, I never gave a thought to what I ate. Didn't care how much I ate. I just ate until I felt full. And then I kept eating anyways. Never gave it a thought. Didn't pay any attention to my food. Didn't pay any attention to workout. None of it. But now that I've lost weight, I find that I am constantly aware of food. I am conscious of food. In fact, my wife will tell you, I cannot eat food without first tabulating it in my app to know how many calories are going into my body and how much I'm going to have to work out and what the scale is going to look like the next morning. I have become, as it were, a... A, almost a food addict in that food is conscious, consciously a part of my thinking every moment of the day. I'm either thinking I'm hungry and I wish I could eat, but I can't eat because if I eat, then I'll go right back to the way I was. Or I eat and I feel guilty for eating. And I immediately think, I better go do a workout. In fact, most times, my wife will tell you, that as soon as I'm done with dinner, she looks up at me and says, when are you leaving? Because I eat dinner... And then i got to work out to get rid of all that weight that I've just put on. And I think Christians do that same kind of thing with sin. Before you were a Christian, you didn't think too much about it. But now that you're a Christian, why is it that we are more aware of our sin than we are aware of the righteousness of God that's in us? We're more aware of our failings and our lacks. In fact, for some of you, you feel like, why are you preaching so many sermons about grace? Why are we singing so much about it? It's because most of us live far beneath the position of grace that we should have in Christ. 
we are constantly more aware of our failings than of God's goodness to us. Um, I believe that the church generally, and even many of us here, are too much aware. And by, by the way, I'm not talking about some kind of namby-pamby approach to sin where people can do anything they want and it doesn't matter because God loves you just the way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having so much grace inside of you, awareness of God's grace, that the idea of sin is a far thought from you. When everything in you wants to live right for God. Why then do we become so much more aware of our sin? The second question is, can you sin and not know it? Um, the Bible certainly does talk about hidden sin or secret sin. And I know somebody here is going to say, well, what about a sin of omission? But again, a sin of omission is when you don't do, some, do something you know you should do. The Scripture says, to him who knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it's sin. So that's an issue of knowledge. But if you're really a Bible scholar, you might be thinking of Leviticus 5.18, where there is actually a sacrifice that was provided for the people of God for a sin that you might have committed and not realized it was a sin at that moment. And you might be thinking of that. But here's the problem with that thinking for you. Back in the Old Covenant, there were about 613 laws. And you couldn't remember them all. And so God in His mercy took into consideration you might not remember them all and you might commit something that then later on you realize was a sin so you have a sacrifice for it. But today, the Scripture tells us in Jeremiah that God has placed His law in your heart. God lives inside of you. And if we know that sin offends God and God lives inside of you, don't you think that God will let you know if you've done something to offend Him? Don't you think God is aware of that reality that lives inside of you? I can't tell you how many times over the years, uh, and maybe this is the way it is for you. Part of the reason why I'm preaching this series is because it's so relevant to me. In fact, I was talking to Cliff this week, and I told him what I believe to be the truth. I am enjoying these messages probably more than all of you because I think I need these messages more than all of you. But there's been many times in my life, and right up to the present time, when I can go through my life, I can wake up in the morning just feeling somehow like I've done something wrong and I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. I can wake up feeling lower than low. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever been walking through life and you just feel like there's a cloud? Remember like the old comics where they used to have the cloud hanging over the head? Have you ever felt like there's a cloud over your head and you don't even really know why? And I think that's how many of us as Christians, live our lives. Like, I must have done something wrong. I just don't know what it is. God, just show me what it is. I'll repent. I'll get it right. Just show me what's wrong. But I have to tell you, the longer I live and the longer I walk with God, the more convinced I am that God is well able to show us anything that we have done or said that is contrary to what His Spirit wants for us as He lives within us. I believe God wants us to be free from this irrational, almost paranoia, this fear of somehow doing something wrong and then God's going to find out about it and we're going to have to pay a major price when the truth is Jesus has already paid the full price for all of our sins. Um, I believe that there have been many times in my life when I have done stuff wrong and I didn't care because it, it wasn't on my radar at the time. I did stuff and I just thought, well, you know, whatever. Everybody does it. Everybody speeds, so what does it matter? But there comes a point when God begins to put His finger upon things and all of a sudden, stuff back then didn't matter. Now it does matter. 
And I find that I'm either not doing that stuff anymore or I am fighting against it by God's help, by His grace, to no longer live under that. And all that means, by the way, when I'm aware that God has brought something to my heart, all that means is that God still does will live within me and that His grace is still effective inside of me. I grew up in my family, uh, as many of you know, with outbursts of fury. Um, I can remember one of the first times that it happened for me. Uh, I can remember uh, my sisters, and I, I had, by the way, at that time, oh, six or seven sisters, and it was me. I was the only one. And my dad uh, had had a uh, party for some of his buddies. They'd get together, and they would play music, kind of like John and the worship team, uh, kind of jamming, except for this was all country-western stuff back in the day. And so all the kids had to get out of the way, and we were upstairs playing, and my sisters were screaming because I was bugging them. I was the only boy. I was bugging all these other girls. And I think some of the friends brought their uh, daughters as well. And I can remember Dad going upstairs and grabbing me by my neck and throwing me downstairs. But at the base of our stairs, I don't know if you guys ever had it, we had stairs that you went down kind of steep, and at the base, up on that wall right in front of you, was a shelf. And on that shelf we would put our games. But our shelf was about this wide. And I remember he threw me down the stairs, and I hit that shelf. And it knocked me unconscious, and I had this you know, bloody forehead, all that kind of stuff, and went to the hospital. And I can still remember, though, thinking, I'm not even sure what I did. And there were many times in my life growing up when dad would react in fury and for things that honestly probably weren't even anything wrong. They were just things that little kids did. But when you grow up with that as your background, you tend to live the rest of your life very aware of the danger that's around you. Wondering who's going to blow up. And usually for a Christian, it has to do with God. What is God going to find that I've done wrong and blow up on me and I didn't even know I had done it? And that's kind of how we live our lives. Um, the truth is, God's not looking to catch you do something wrong. God gave his life for you because he wants to live inside of you to let you know how much you're loved and how much his grace can change you away, yes, from the stuff that is destructive, but also so that you can know the love and nearness of God. That sense that something must be wrong, when you're not even sure what it is, I believe with all of my heart that that's a lie from hell. That God's intent, if God wants to put his finger on something in your life, God's well able to make it clear to you. You don't have to live wondering, am I doing something wrong? But he's able to make it clear. Uh, the fifth question says, would it be easier to sin than to do righteousness? And I believe that's a lie again. God lives inside of you. It's not easy. In fact, how many of you have ever... Um, done something wrong. Like maybe you spoke sharply to your spouse. You just reacted in one moment. You know, like they said something and you reacted sharply because you took it wrong because you thought she was or he was attacking you. And in that moment, and you know in your heart you reacted wrong. You, you, remember, you understand what I'm talking about? You know that in that second, you knew you were wrong, you overreacted, and what should come out of your mouth? I'm sorry. I said it wrong. And how many of you had Moments of time, maybe longer, where you agonized over apologizing. You know you should, but you didn't. In that interim period, what is it that you're feeling? What you're feeling is the conviction of God. In that moment, God convicted you and said, you should apologize. You should be humble and apologize. The agony that you're feeling is due evidence that God is well able to get at something in you if He really wants to. It's not some kind of 
uh, ambiguous sense of guilt and shame because I don't know. It's, it's like you grow up feeling like you're wrong, you're bad, even though you don't know what you've done wrong, what you've done badly. Well, God doesn't live like that. God makes it very, very clear if there's something He wants to put His finger upon in your life. Why is it so hard for us to sin? Because God makes it hard for us because His life lives in us. And so we can't sin with impunity anymore. If you're truly a Christian, you can't live that way. God comes and He continues to prick your heart. Now what does that matter? It matters because you tend to live up to what you believe in life. Um, if you were raised in a family where all of your life you were told that you were dumb, if you hear that enough, you tend to believe it. And then you tend to act like it. You tend to live that out in one form or another. If I came to you today and I said, uh, your dear friend, who you've loved for years and years and years, just passed away this morning. Even though it's not true, but if you believe the words I say, that's going to impact how you live your life. You're going to have grief come upon you, even though it's not true. So it's important for us to believe the truth of what God says. Um, my father, uh, some of you actually would have met him. My father, when he was younger, had lost these two fingers on his right hand. So that even when he played guitar, he had to actually tape the pick to his two fingers so that he could hold on to it well enough to play guitar. But he lost these two fingers, and I can't tell you how many times over the years I'd be working right next to him, and my job was to hold the treble light, which was always dangerous, by the way, because you never had it perfect for how he wanted it, or to hand him wrenches or tools that he wanted. But I can't tell you how many times over the years I would watch him reaching for a wrench with those two fingers. You could see the two nubs moving around, trying to grab that, and then he'd look down and realize, oh, those fingers are gone. Or he'd complain about his fingers. He'd be rubbing his hands. I said, what's wrong? He says, ah, my fingers are cold. Well, the fingers were gone. What he was experiencing was ghost pangs, or sometimes they call them shadow pangs. And I want to suggest to you that that's what many of us have, a false sense of consciousness of sin that has already been clearly dealt with and washed away by God. One example of how this turkeyizing works is that I used to think and feel that if I was tempted, that it must be sin. Or Actually, it takes us into the other question, number six. It must mean that I'm far from God because I always believed that the closer I got to God, the less the enemy could get near me. But the irony is that Jesus, who was God himself, was tempted, and yet he didn't sin. In fact, the reality is, I think, the closer we get to God, the more the enemy tries to tempt us. They used to say something like this, new levels, new devils. But I think the closer you get to God, the enemy wants to do anything in his power to distract you and detour you from God. So that when you have a, a tempting thought come through your mind, it doesn't mean it's sin. What you do with it matters, but it's not sin in and of itself. Um, Martin Luther said this, I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can keep it from building a nest in my hair. It's not a sin to have a thought pass through your mind. But let's not dwell on it. Let's not begin to just uh, take time to ruminate about it. Let's put it away and keep moving on. In fact, as I've told you before, what I often do when I find the enemy trying to bring crash my mind with thoughts, and usually thoughts of depression or discouragement, what I generally do is I, honestly, I speak and I say, you know, enemy, I want you to shut your mouth. I am a blood-bought child of God. 
I am His. I no longer belong to you. This ground belongs to God. I have the mind of Christ. And I think that's the kind of thing that we need to do. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. Part of the reason why I'm preaching this series is I want to remind us that it started with grace, it's maintained by grace, and it will end by grace. It's all of grace or it's not grace at all. We can't get through our lives if we continue to believe lies. We're going to constantly live under a cloud of despair. Like, I will never be good enough. I will never do it well enough. I wonder what you put down for questions 10 and 11. Uh, Some years ago, when I first did this, I asked some friends of mine who were all pastors to take the same test. And then we got to this question 10 and 11. Do you know what I found? I found that without fail, every single one of them had a two-to-one ratio for number 10 to number 11. In other words, the number under number 10, how many sins have you committed today, was twice as high as how many acts of righteousness have you done today. Twice as high. These were pastors. Full-time pastors. And when I asked them, why did you do it? They said, I don't know. I honestly just figured it had to be. These were pastors. I figured I must have sinned more than done anything good. And I wonder how many times we do the same kind of thing. How many times do we feel like what we're doing is sin for lack of even knowing if that's what God's heart is towards it? Um, I believe you don't have to try to do righteousness. Righteousness is natural for us. In fact, this morning, what's the very first thing that you did? You woke up. You opened your eyes. Is that a sin? And yet for some of us, We would say, well, yeah, I probably slept in longer than I should, so I guess that's sin. And we find some way to take something that's not a sin and make it a sin because we've been so turkeyized. What's the next thing you did? You what? You made coffee. You made coffee before you shower? Whoa! That's a serious coffee man. You make coffee. Is that a sin? No, I think that's close to heaven. Right? When I go to Bud's, you'll see my cup. My cup is a 32-ounce cup, and I drink probably two to three of those a day. Because I think coffee is actually the nectar of heaven. Right? So, here's my point. We look at stuff that we do, and we assume that if it's not righteousness, and by righteousness we mean, well, I'm not going to church, I'm not, singing on the worship team. I'm not witnessing to somebody. It must therefore be sin. But the truth is, in God, there is no gray ground. It's either sin or it's righteousness. So if it's not sin, by definition, it must be righteousness. And the truth is, many of you here today have done more acts of righteousness. In fact, for some of you here today, you will finish your day and in the sin column, you will have the number zero. Because there's not one sin that God has brought to your attention. And by the way, I'm talking about God bringing it to your attention, not false guilt, nor somebody else bringing it to your attention something they don't like, but something that God actually points out. You can end the day with zero sins because you have walked in such a way that you have not done anything that caused God's Spirit within you to rise up and say, you know better than that. You're made for more than that. So as we look at all of this, We come to Romans 5.17. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned through that one, speaking of Adam, much more. Say much more. Much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and abundance of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. If you're going to live life happy, you have to have two things. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have kids. You don't have to have your kids leave home. Those aren't the things that are ultimately going to make you happy. You have to have two things. You have to have abundance of grace and abundance of righteousness. That's the only way you're going to find yourself settled in God. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, but look at the last part, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. His righteousness is not like a robe that you put on and off at your whim. His righteousness is part of your nature now. You can't help it. You have the nature of Christ in you. You have partaken. In fact, Peter tells us we have a seed that we have partaken of called the gospel. And that seed has caused us to take on the nature of Christ. And you can't lose that nature. It's embedded into the fiber of your being. Everything in life is either God or it's not. It's either righteousness or it's sin. And I think for too many of us, including myself, we live our lives afraid of blowing it. Afraid that I'm going to do something and I'm going to find out later, man, I've really blown it. Even to the point where you fear that you could lose your salvation. Even though he says, I hold you in the palm of my hand and no one can pluck you out. If your heart is towards God, which I believe you are, or else you wouldn't even be here today. If your heart is really towards God, don't you think God could make it clear to you if there's something he wants you to work on in your life? Then why do we walk around with this heavy cloud over us feeling like I must be blowing it somehow? I must be doing something wrong. After all, I'm not reading my Bible right this second. I'm not worshiping right this second. In fact, we prove how little we know of grace when we honestly believe that I am positionally closer to God when I'm doing something good. When the truth is, you can't get any closer to God than what you are right now. You're His child. And that's yours by birthright, being born again of His Spirit. Would you stand with me? You know what the old owl said to that little pair of eaglets? He said, if you'd stop trying to live like a turkey and be who you really are, you'd be much happier in life. You're an eagle. Now, for many of us, we weren't raised with that kind of concept. We were raised to think we were less than what we really are. But the truth is, he paid a price. Think about the price that Jesus paid for you. That alone proves how much value he puts on you. That he would give his own lifeblood for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I recognize that these are uh, simple little things that we have talked about today. And even over these last couple of weeks. In some ways, it feels like they're so basic. Like, why are we wasting our time? Let's look at something deeper. But the truth is, this is the core of our being. If we don't get this, we never get everything else. Not really. So Lord, I'm asking you that over these coming weeks that we have, that we're still going to be looking at this whole series on grace, 
that you would awaken our hearts to the tremendous gift, the abundance of grace that you've given us in that you have taken our sin away and you have put Christ's righteousness upon us so that we can reasonably and rightly say, I am as righteous as Christ is. Because the scripture says he took all of his righteousness and put it upon us. So Father, today, help us to live like that as blood-bought, wanted, accepted, desired children of the living God. And help us to revel in that truth. And when you bring things to our minds of things that you want to see worked on in our lives, whether they be sin or failings or whatever it is, Father, you also give us the grace to do it, even in that moment. And I thank you for it. Thank you for your love for us, Father, that we don't have to walk around like failures, that we're not bad just because we feel bad, but the truth is that we're yours. You've given your life for us, and we're grateful for it. Lord, let that become a greater and greater reality in our lives over these coming weeks, I pray, so that it begins to change how we walk and how we relate to people. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, I just wanted to again remind you, there is a sign-up out in the foyer for the harvest dinner, but I guess we're calling it everything but the turkey or something like that. And again, we're not making the meal, we're bringing in the goods so that these people can make a meal because the health department has said they don't want us doing that this year, one more year. Hopefully next year we'll be back to that. But for this year, this is what we're doing, okay? So you can help us. Potatoes, corn, all of it. We need it. Thank you.